Money FM 89.3, best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Good Friday morning. Asia Pacific markets are trading lower this morning. Investor sentiment has turned cautious amid inflation worries and a rise in long term U.S. bond yields. Seoul is down nearly 1%. Tokyo and Sydney are off more than half a percent. Joining me now for a closer look at the market action, he's Ryan Huang. Good Friday morning, Ryan. Happy Friday, Michelle. How are you feeling? Feeling good. How about you? Ready to roll. Stocks rally while investors applaud U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell and his commitments to keep interest rates low. Uh, that headline, so yesterday, overnight bond yields spiked, oil prices skidded, and the stock markets tumbled, putting the S&P 500 on track for its first weekly loss in several weeks. That fall in oil prices may not be directly related to the Fed. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, let's start with the bond markets. Now, the yield on the 10-year Treasury note flirted with 1.75% overnight, its highest level in more than a year. So, Ryan, what gives? Are investors basically saying to the Fed, we don't believe you when you say inflation is not an issue? I think it's an instance of investors getting swept up by the headlines. And this is around how the Fed actually raises outlook. We have now the full-year forecast coming in for 6.5% 6.5% growth in 2021. That was raised from 4.2%. You also have the inflation outlook at 2.2%. You also have the unemployment rate um, also being improved on in its latest forecast. So all that painting a rosier picture for the US economy. And with that, that is pushing up expectations of rate hikes sooner rather than later, despite what Jerome Powell has been saying. So that, I think, was one of the main factors pushing up bond yields. Well, some analysts say Powell's determination to keep interest rates low may actually be fueling those higher bond yields. So the argument goes like this. Easy credit is going to overheat the U.S. economy, which will cause inflation, which in turn leads investors to need which leads investors need to demand higher yields for their longer term investments. So however you read it, the inflation anxiety story does not appear to be going away anytime soon. So Ryan, the rise in bond yields triggered a sell-off in stocks overnight, though it was predictably good for one sector, right? It was. So higher yields typically means higher rates and higher rates means more profits for Hmm. banks. So if you look at what happened overnight in terms of Wall Street action, if you look at the S&P 500, the 11 sectors, only one sector was in the green, and that was the financial sector. And this was just barely in the green as well. Uh, so we are, of course, uh, looking at the wider markets down overall. So all three indices were down. And you have the NASDAQ, of course, with the rotation away from tech towards value cyclical. The tech sell-off was more keenly felt, and we saw the NASDAQ, the Worst performer last night, down 3%, having its worst day in a month. And the likes of Apple, Netflix, Amazon, all down more than 3%. Tesla down more than 7%. The S&P 500, a bit better, but still down, losing 1.5%. The Dow was down around 0.5%, despite being lifted earlier to an intraday high with a rally in bank stocks. So Mm. bank stocks, the only bright spot yesterday, but not enough to turn the tide. 
In the commodity markets, oil prices suffered their biggest one-day decline since last summer. They are on a five-day skid now. So the price of a barrel of Brent crude is now trading below 63 US dollars. West Texas crude has fallen to below the $60 threshold. No pun intended, Ryan, but what is fueling the sell-off? So you do have a couple of reasons to worry the energy outlook. And Mm. this is around what's happening in Europe. You've got... The complications around COVID-19 in terms of a third wave that they are struggling with. You also have what's going on with the vaccine rollout, which is slower than what's desired in Europe. So all that putting a bit of a dampener on the outlook for demand, energy demand for business activity as well as travel. So those two big things are weighing on the energy outlook demand and in turn weighing on oil prices. So that is the picture we have, oil prices down more than 7% from yesterday and at one stage down more than 9%. Yeah, a fortnight ago, oil prices hit their highest levels in a year. The Brent and West Texas contracts have fallen more than 11% since then. So as more companies invest in electric vehicles and promote work from home, even after the pandemic, I've heard some analysts say that oil prices have peaked, that the days of expensive oil are over. What do you think? Yeah, it's tough to gaze in the crystal ball these days. It's so cloudy, so many things can happen. But if I were to wager, there is not a lot going for the demand side for oil. There isn't a lot of catalysts, so to speak, because everyone is moving away from fossil fuels to cleaner energy, alternative fuels. Even cars are starting to be are starting to phase out combustible engines. So that is not going well, doing well for the demand side, right? So if you have also the likes of people staying more at home with work from home, you're not going to travel as much as well. So not a lot to support a return to peak oil, so to speak. So Mm. you won't be seeing those lofty levels anytime soon. Now, from oil prices, I want to turn now to containers and shipping rates. Now, normally, container costs, they fly under the radar, but not these days. There is a global shortage of containers. Their prices are soaring, and you only have to look at the ports to see ships backed up. So how is this bottleneck affecting markets, right? Yeah, there is a bit of a bottleneck and this is because container ships are waiting longer in line because one, there is just more traffic and also there is probably more checks right now with what's going on with COVID-19. And this is now causing prices for freight prices to go up by quite a bit. In fact, it's at multi-year highs and this is up more than 4.7 times from the previous year's price. Right now, it's at over $4,600 per 40-foot FEU. So that is um, the latest price we have on March the 2nd. So you are looking at a bit of a crunch in terms of supply because there has been a huge spike in demand for commodities. It has been a huge jump back into the various economies around the world recovering. So everyone's trying to get a piece of shipment, so to speak, uh, moving. And then you have the tightness in terms of what's going on in the ports. So all that contributing to the delays. And there's also another problem where the usage of these containers is now longer than usual because of all the traffic. So the roll-on impact or the 
release of the old containers to new customers is delayed a bit more. Mm. So that is also adding to the troubles when you are seeing less efficiency in the markets in terms of container usage. Now, one company that's been hit by the congestion in U.S. ports is Nike. So even though Nike's profits rose in the third quarter, its sales growth has been hurt by delivery issues. What's the latest here? Yeah, so Nike had a bit of a mixed report card. So despite having good earnings, it was seeing slowing growth. And this was due to supply chain issues. And what's really compounding it is a supply chain bottleneck is keeping its products from reaching North America, its biggest market. So what we have right now is sales um, coming in at $10.4 billion. That was below the analyst expectations of $11 billion. And on top of that, you have revenue in Europe. Disappointing. That is because they are still struggling with COVID-19 and many stores there are still shuttered. So you've got the supply chain bottleneck playing out to way on Nike's latest earnings. Now, before we move on to other issues, I want to turn to U.S. markets again just for a moment. Tonight, there will be what's called a quadruple witching. So remind us what that is and why it puts investors on edge, quadruple witching. Yeah, so this happens roughly every three months. And of course, now is the third Friday of March. It happens every third Friday of every quarter. So this is when you have the expiration of a few kinds of securities. You have stock market options, you have futures contracts. So all of that expiring simultaneously. So when that happens, you have a market trying to recalibrate, adjust to new contracts, whether they want to roll over or not. So all of that adds to a bit of fluctuation in prices. So stand by and brace yourselves for a roller coaster ride tonight. <laughs> now here at home, Jardine Matheson is in the news again. Now we talked about its buyout of Jardine Strategic. Now that deal is almost certain to go through given Jardine Matheson's stake in the company. But a lot of minority investors appear upset about the offer price. The Singapore Exchange issued a media release yesterday telling investors that if they wish to seek action on this, they have to go to Bermuda? <laughs> yes. So that is what's going on with Jardine, right? So the backstory, of course, we have to kind of uh, lay the context of this. Uh, you have Jardine Matheson trying to do a corporate action in the terms of buying out the remaining 15% of Jardine Strategic that it does not own. So the background to this, of course, is, is trying to clean up or streamline its house. And how Jardine has been set up legally is it's been domiciled in Bermuda for various reasons. Sometimes it's for tax reasons, but it's decided to do so in Bermuda. So in order to raise any opposition legally, you have to settle it in Bermuda courts for this case. And what we have right now is a bit of debate over whether that price that Jardine Matheson is paying for Jardine Strategic is fair. It's paying $33 per share. Some people are not happy with it. So investors are starting to raise questions how they can dispute it. So one way is to go through the Bermuda courts. And Sias is organizing this um, exercise for individual shareholders to be connected with institutional shareholders. So collectively, they can have a stronger case and of course have economies of scale when it comes to legal costs. They will be able to split up the costs and it's not going to be cheap because it will cost around $1 to $2 million. So that will be split up among the shareholders 
And what will happen then is the courts in Bermuda will hear the case and decide, hey, is $33 a fair price? If they decide that that is not and they say a higher price is warranted, then Jardine has one month to pay up the difference. All right. But, um, the... It is subject, though, to obtaining a minimum of at least 300,000 shares or 10 million US dollars in value from those individual shareholders collectively who are dissenting to the offer for this to go through. Now, we are seeing other signs of acquisitions by the Jardine Group. Jardine Cycle and Carriage is buying a Mercedes-Benz dealer in Malaysia. Are there any other possible privatization or acquisition targets others in in Jardine's sites. Yeah, so this is raising eyebrows because this is happening in the short window where we've just heard about Jardine Matheson buying the stake in Jardine Strategic. Now we've got Jardine Saka and Carriage buying its um, almost counterpart in Malaysia. Mm. So this is starting to raise questions. What is next? So the Jardine group, some people might not realize ex- is really quite expensive uh, in terms of how wide-ranging it is um, reaching. So you've got things like Dairy Farm, which owns Giant, 7-Eleven. You've got Mandarin Oriental. You've got Hong Kong Land. So all these names are now emerging as potential candidates. And what's worth noting is if you look at Hong Kong Land and Mandarin Oriental, they are trading under book value right now. So that makes it an attractive price for someone to buy in terms of a share buyback. So if you look at Hong Kong Land, it's now trading at 0.33 book value. Mandarin Oriental trading at 0.65 times book value. So that is an attractive proposition if you are trying to do a share buyback because right after COVID-19, prices have been depressed and mm-hmm. if you think things are going to turn around, this would be the inflection point for you to jump in to get a bit of value play. And of course, it is worth noting that it's pretty much a done deal if Jardine decides to go through with it because they hold such a huge stake across the cross holdings that there is almost no opposition that they can affect this uh, move. Let's check in on local stocks right now. The Straits Times Index jumped nearly 1% yesterday to close at 31.37. How's the STI doing this morning? Okay, so we are tracking a rather negative session on Wall Street. And of course, the tech sell-off is in focus. In fact, it was weighing on the wider markets as well. So you've got markets across Asia down. So STI, pretty much following that lead, is down by 0.1% right now, 3,133. But it is still lingering near those one-year highs. And if you look at what's trading uh, in terms of the action on the STI, most stocks are in the red except for eight of them. So top loser right now, Maple Tree Industrial Trust. Um, REITs like Capital DC REIT, Maple Tree Logistics Trust, they are in the top three losers. We talked about Jardine Matheson just now, is now down by 0.6%. And looking at the top gainers so far, CityDev up 1.3%. Jardine Strategic, on the other hand, is up by 1.23%, now at 33.71. Worth noting the offer price Jardine Matheson is paying is $33 per share. All right. Well, thank you for that comprehensive tour of market news. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. You're with us here on Your Money. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.